morning. Please open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to finish the latter half of the chapter today, picking it up in verse 12 through 21. Entitled today's message, Ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. The Apostle Paul in this letter is both defending and describing his ministry to the church at Corinth. And he will describe his ministry in great detail in these ten verses. And we'll see in our text that he really sees himself as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He sees that Christ has changed his life. He sees that he has now become a servant of Christ and a representative of Christ as ambassador to others. I guess we should ask ourselves as well, how, how do we see ourselves? Paul saw himself as an ambassador of Christ. How do, you, how do you see yourself as a Christian? Do you see yourself as Christ's representative? Do you see yourself as an ambassador for Christ to this generation, to this culture that God has placed you in? It's not by coincidence that you're here in this place at this time. God has a strategy, God has a plan, and God wants to use our lives. Yes, He wants to save and rescue each of us. But then He wants to also use us, deploy us, if you will. Put us into ministry as His ambassadors and representatives. You know, I, I have a lot of passages, I'm sure you do too, that are very favorite and dear to your heart. But I have to say, these ten verses we'll be looking at here this morning are some of my very favorite passages in all the New Testament. They are so profound and powerful. And in one sense, I'm excited to, to bring it this morning and to teach it. On the other hand, I'm very challenged. Lord, I, I pray that you will help me to give this text really uh, the justice it deserves in teaching it and declaring its truth. But let's take a look here this morning. I, I'd like, what I'd like to do is read through these ten verses all at once just to get the full context. And then we'll come back. And I'll break it into what I have prepared today. Let's pick it up there in verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer to those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. As I mentioned, these verses are packed so full of truth and application for us. But I believe the the main theme is Paul really describing something of his ministry, his motive. And I think that term ambassador for Christ kind of hits the theme of these passages. And as we read through, what I think you'll discover is Paul giving a kind of an outline of those things that are included in being an ambassador for Jesus. Take a look again with me. And we'll take this and I've broken it up into four sections for us this morning. Look with me again in verse 12. The first thing we'll notice is that Paul speaks of his sincerity of heart. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Remember Paul as he is trying to defend his ministry to this church, trying to remind them that God has called him to minister, uh, that as you defend that, that calling of God, sometimes it can sound almost boastful because you're having to tell people, look, God has called me and gifted me to minister into your life. But Paul wants them to understand, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to prop myself up. I'm not doing this in a way of self-promotion. But rather, he says, I want to give you an opportunity to boast. In other words, to to understand and be thankful for the ministry that God has given to me for you. And that you might have an answer. Paul was not trying to be boastful or self-promoting. But he wanted to give them an answer for those who were boastful and self-promoting. There were ministers in Paul's day, as there are in our day, that were more into appearance than they were into substance and ministry of heart. They weren't really sincere about the gospel work as much as they were about propping up their own ministry, their own image. And Paul said, listen, I want to give you an answer for those that are overly impressed with outward appearance. We may not appear that great compared to some. My, you know, Paul would say, my oratory skills may not be as, you know, wonderfully developed as some of the teachers that you've been enamored with. And yes, we're going through struggle and trial. And maybe that for some of you is embarrassing. But Paul was trying to say, listen, these things are a result of our ministry. A result of the genuine calling of God upon our lives. These are not things that would discredit us. These are things that actually validate us. And so when these boasters and these guys that come in that are all show, you know, you'll have an answer. You'll, you'll have a way to recognize and discern. You know, there's a saying, I've heard this in Texas, all hat and no cattle. You ever heard that saying from the Texans? <laughs> Big hat, but where's, where's, your, you know, where's your ranch? Where are your cows? And they all show, but not much really there. You know, Samuel... Samuel went, uh, he was sent to uh, Jesse's home to anoint the next king of Israel. Of course, David was to be the next king of Israel. But when Samuel went to the house, Jesse had a number of sons. And and Samuel wasn't sure which one God had chosen. And so Jesse began to parade his sons before Samuel one at a time, one at a time. And boy, when when, uh, Samuel saw the eldest... 
He, he thought, wow, look at this guy. This guy is a specimen of a king if I ever saw one. He must have been built. He must have been ripped and pumped, as they say. He looked at him, and so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Boy, that's a truth we need to remember in our own lives. It's a truth we need to remember as we evaluate ministry and ministers. And this is what Paul is getting at. That we're sincere of heart. That's what we bring. Maybe not outward appearance, but sincerity of ministry. And he said, you know, if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we're of sound mind, it's for you. You know, Paul's passion and zeal. When he says, beside ourselves, that's another word of saying, look, if we appear crazy, if we look like Jesus freaks to you, this is why we are just passionate and zealous for God. But we're also trying to be careful to be of sound mind so that you won't just think we're weirdos. We're trying our best to also communicate soundly to you. But understand that this zeal, this passion that God has put in our hearts, it produces this kind of what you might think beside ourselves. It may seem extreme, but it's because of our love for God. There was a time when Paul had to give a defense. He was in prison at Caesarea. And he was called before the Roman authorities and he began to give give his testimony, began to give his defense, began to share the gospel. And there was a man named Festus there and he he said this to Paul, hearing Paul speak and the passion and the zeal that Paul had. He said, now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason. You see, you may live as a Christian that to some appears extreme and over the top. But if that's something that God is is drawing you to and and leading you, then, then don't be afraid of man. Don't be intimidated by the opinion of men. But at the same time, that's not an excuse just to be weird. It's not an excuse just to purposefully try to appear strange. We don't need that. No, that's why I think there's a balance. Look, if we appear beside ourselves, it's the passion of God. But we also appeal to you in sound mind for your sake. We're trying to be real. We're trying to be relatable. We're trying to bring this sound and reasonable word into your hearts. Paul speaks of his sincerity. Look on with me in verse 14. Second thing I see here is that Paul was compelled by the love of Christ. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those and he died for all, that those who live should no longer uh, should live no longer for themselves, excuse me, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul said that it's the love of Christ that compels me. When Paul would speak of the love of Christ, I think there are three areas that the love of Christ impacts our lives. The first and most obvious, of course, is the love of Christ for us. 
His love for us. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He he didn't come and die for pretty good people. He didn't come and die for you because you were showing signs of hope and improvement. You were in sin. You were lost. You were at enmity with God. But He loved you. And Christ came and offered Himself on the cross even when you were in sin. And that speaks very profoundly. No one has loved me like that. Let me say, no one has ever loved you that way either. No love can compare to the love of God for each one of us demonstrated in Christ Jesus. When Paul said, the love of Christ compels me, he was changed by this love that had impacted his heart. But not only the love that had come to him, but then the response of his own heart, his love for Christ. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. When God's love touches our heart in sincerity, it creates a response of love back to him. So Paul said, look, Christ's love has come to me, and now I have this love for Christ coming from me. And these are the things that are compelling me. But not only love from God, love for God, but also the Bible speaks of His love for others that has been deposited in my own heart. The book of Romans says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The old King James said, it has been shed abroad. A love bomb has exploded in your heart. It's the love of God. That's why John could say, listen, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, that's not right. That's not true. You're lying. You're deceiving yourself. Because when God's love is truly in your heart, your, His love for you and your love for Him, then you will automatic, it will automatically overflow in your love one for another. So when Paul speaks of the love of Christ compelling him, this is the kind of love that's going on. The love he's experienced, the love he's, he's bringing to the Lord, and the love of God uh, working through his life. And he said that it compels me. In the old King James, that word is translated, constrains me. The literal translation means to hold together, to seize. Paul is talking about this love having brought great focus to his life. The love of Christ has laid hold of me. It restricts me, like an athlete in training. There are things that I cannot do because I'm too focused on what is now compelling me. The love of God. It limits me. It restrains me. It also motivates me. It gives me purpose, meaning. It drives me. It sends me. It empowers me. It directs me. It compels me. This is what was beating in the heart of the apostle, the love of Jesus. And this is what comes into the heart of all ambassadors of Christ. It's not our own strength or effort or ambition that motivates the believer. It's the love of God. The love of Christ compels me. And having said that, he he gives a little explanation as to how it's worked in his heart. He says, because we judge thus... This love has gotten a hold of me because here's the way I see things. Here's what's driving me. Here's what's going on. He died for all and all died. Because He died for me, I have given my life to Him. Who has died for you besides Jesus? Someone might be willing to lay down your life. Someone, a close friend, a relative in a moment, in a crisis. Someone might. 
But Jesus died for the world even when the world was living in rebellion and sin against Him. He died for you and I. And so Paul would say, look, because He died, I've died. I've surrendered my life to Him. Isn't that what Jesus said? If you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to do what? Pick up your cross and follow me. I'm going to lay down my life for you, not so that you can just continue to live your life as you dream and want and wish, but rather so that you would surrender, that you would, give, you would crucify that life, the old man, the old nature, and that you would follow me. That's why Jesus died for you, so that you would live for him. That's the whole picture of baptism when we think about being baptized. Baptized is an image of burial. You go down into the waters and you resurrect a brand new creature in Christ. The old man is buried. So many today, I'm afraid, they come to Christ hoping that they, will just, they can just add Christ to the mix of their life. Somehow Christ will come in and now I'll really be able to fulfill my dreams, my hopes, my ambitions. But the whole essence of coming to Christ is a, is a death. Those hopes and dreams and ambitions. Now, I'm not talking about those things that God has put in your heart, that God wants to fulfill. I'm talking about those selfish ambitions that all of us have and have to learn to crucify. No, Paul said, because he died for me, I've given my life to him so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Isn't that the problem? Too many of us, even as Christians, still wanting to live for ourselves. But Jesus saved us, not that we would continue to live for ourselves, but so that we could live for Him. Not living for money, not living for material things, not even living for family or for work or for career, but living for Jesus. We've been called to live for Him. Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things will be added. God loves you. God knows what you need. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of your family. You'll not be shortchanged for following Jesus. Your life will be abundant and full and blessed. But not if you pursue it in your own interests, in your own living for yourself attitude. Jesus said the one that's trying to hold on to his life is going to lose it. But the one who's willing to lose his life for my sake, he's going to find it. This is the the way of the gospel. Paul talking about this, this idea of being compelled by the love of Christ. You've been created by him for his pleasure. You've been purchased by his blood. You are his. You belong to him. And you are called to be compelled, constrained by His love. We look on, verse 16 and 17, He speaks of this new creation. A new creation in Christ. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
We regard no one according to the flesh, although we have known Christ according to the flesh. Interesting. When did Paul know Jesus in the flesh? When did Paul meet Jesus in person? Well, we we know that Jesus revealed himself to him at his conversion, right? On the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him, the resurrected Christ. Certainly, he saw Jesus in his resurrected flesh in that, that moment of conversion. But remember, Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. Paul lived the same time Jesus lived. In fact, Paul was a very zealous Pharisee when Jesus had his earthly ministry. It's quite possible that the Apostle Paul was familiar with Jesus and his ministry. You know, you see in the Gospels a lot of confrontation between Jesus and who? The Pharisees, right? It may very well have been that Paul was numbered amongst one of those hypocritical Pharisees. Paul says, we knew him in the flesh, but not any longer. Now we know Him in the Spirit. You know, to meet Jesus in person, we all think, oh, that would have been so awesome. And it would have been. But to meet Jesus in, the, in person, to shake His hand, to meet Him in the flesh, is not what saves a man. It's, Jesus said you've got to be born again of the Spirit. It's coming to life in a spiritual reality with Jesus. And that's the kind of knowledge that we have of Jesus today. I've not met Him in the flesh Oh, but I know Him in the Spirit. I know Him dearly in my heart and the Spirit through His Word, through the ministry of His Spirit. And Paul said, this is the way that we now look to men. We don't regard them according to the flesh. In other words, Paul had kind of a black and white view of everyone that he met. If he met you, he saw you as one of two categories. You are either in Christ or you're not in Christ. No, but he was, he's a great doctor. He's a great uh, athlete. Oh, she's a wonderful artist. She, you know, and these are all wonderful things. And these are all, but Paul said, we, we don't regard men according to the flesh. I'm not interested in who they are in the flesh. What I'm primarily concerned about is who they are in the Spirit. Do you know Christ? This is the dividing line for me, Paul said. And he said, this is why. Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I don't know, I don't care who you were, I don't care what you've done. If you're in Christ, you're a child of God, born new. And if you're not in Christ, you're still dead in your sins. And again, I don't, it doesn't matter to me who you are, what you've done, what you do for a living. Those things are, are important to know as we develop friendships. And, and those things are fine for us to, you know... Find out about one another. But nothing is as important as this issue. Are you in Christ? You know, when it says that old things have passed away, it means that old things have passed away. Notice that it says if anyone is in Christ. You know, we heard last night at our youth outreach, we heard from Ryan Reese who came and shared and ministered to our young people. What a radical testimony of the grace of God. Just getting a hold of this young man and changing his life. And he now is part of a ministry called the Whosoever's. It comes out of John 3.16, right? Whosoever should believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, whoever. God can use whoever. God can change whoever. Paul says here, if anyone is in Christ... 
It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. He does not fix or rebuild the old. He makes us new. It's a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. Your sins, who you were, what you've done. Listen, the things that have been done to you. Oh, you don't understand, Pastor. I have a lot of history. I have these things that were done to me when I was younger. Things that you know were, were abusive. Things that happened. A broken home. Sins of parents, relatives, peers. You don't understand. It's, it's affected me. It's made me someone that can't really function in Christ. Well, I don't mean to minimize those past issues. They're real. They leave a mark. They are things that we do have to allow God's grace to work us through. And it's not always instant. I understand that. But I want to say to you that the scripture is clear. Old things have passed away. All things are made new. There is nothing in your past that can limit the good that God has for your future. Don't let Satan condemn you. Don't let hurt, bitterness, and resentment cripple you. You come to Jesus. You surrender it to Him. Your sins are forgiven. Your past can be healed. God can make all things new. That's the hope of the gospel. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you don't have to have like certain qualifications to be useful or you know, made new by God? Well, let me see. Let me see your resume. Let's check it out. I don't know, that's a sketchy background. Mm, probably can't work with you. How about you? Oh, yeah, nice, impressive. No, God's not doing that. If anyone comes to Christ, old things have passed away. All things have become new. You've got to receive that gift. You've got to receive it by faith. Because believe me, the old things want to rise up and control us. The old lust, the old, the old man, the old, the old, you know... Hurts and the old pains that wants to it wants to shadow it wants to cloud it doesn't want to let you go, but it cannot hold you. You must receive it by faith and believe it in your heart, and then you must walk in it. In several places in the New Testament, it talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Don't let that old man resurrect on you. Don't put on that old garment of bitterness, resentment, and hurt, and condemnation, and guilt, shame. Take it off. Leave it off. It's at the cross. Christ has covered it. Christ has set you free. And now, every day, put on the new man. It says in Ephesians, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Every day. Deciding to live in newness of life. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Keep that old man in the grave every day and walk in newness of life. Finish up with me here in this chapter. The final thing that we'll look at here, of course, is Paul's ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, the God that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Excuse me. He has reconciled us to Himself through Christ and in Christ. Reconciliation. Making peace with God. Reconciliation does not come because God is just willing to pretend that sin doesn't matter. Oh, he's oh, he's so cute. He's trying so hard. He means well. Sure, we'll just call it even. We'll just act as though sin is not really that important. You've, you've, you've done what you think is well, and so we'll just excuse sin. We'll just give a pass on sin. This is not how God reconciles man. Now, this is the way man would like to be reconciled. You hear it all the time. You talk to someone that doesn't know Christ, and, and you just ask them simply, you know, how's your relationship with God? Do you think you're going to heaven? Sure. Why? Well, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good. I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't killed anybody. I, I, you know, I don't. So I try not to, you know, do too many. I'm, you know, I, I think I've got the scales are tipped in my favor. This self-righteous idea that somehow God will just kind of brush everything else under the carpet, as though a holy and righteous God will not demand or require justice. That's not how God reconciled man to Himself. Reconciliation has come through Jesus Christ. God has not lowered His standards of holiness or justice or righteousness. He has justly dealt with sin by laying it upon Jesus. And punishing Jesus is as if He were the sinner. God did not excuse sin. God dealt with sin. I like this quote from Pastor Guzik. He says, The Father set upon the Son all the guilt and wrath our sin deserved, and Jesus bore it in Himself perfectly, totally satisfying the justice of God for us. That's why the Bible says, If you will confess your sin, He is faithful and what? Just to forgive your sin. He's faithful. He will forgive you. If you'll confess in sincerity and honestly ask God to forgive you, He's faithful. He will forgive you. But He's also just. He doesn't have to compromise to forgive you. He doesn't have to kind of lower the standard to to accommodate you and I. Sin has been paid for in full at the cross of Jesus Christ. God has dealt sin a death blow. God has brought victory over sin. God has not excused it, but rather, He has conquered it. And that's why it says, He is not imputing trespasses. Imputing, that's a a word of like a banking term, crediting. He's not crediting those things to your account. Those debits aren't showing up on your record. God is not imputing sin because Jesus has paid for that sin. 
And He has now committed to us this word of reconciliation. And it is a word. It is a message. It is something that has to be communicated. It's something that is shared from person to person, from pulpit to audience, from however, radio, TV, however God does it, even in your own private heart as you open the scriptures and the word, the gospel comes to life to you. It is a word of reconciliation. And Paul's saying, this is what God has done, and he has committed this word, this message, this truth to us. This message is simply this, God is not imputing sin. God is not imputing sin to those that will receive the free gift of forgiveness in Christ. God's not judging you for your sin. God's not holding this over you, just waiting to club you. Just get close enough so I can let you have it. This is not God's posture towards you. We live in an age of grace. We live in a, we live in, you know, a message of preaching the cross. God is not imputing trespasses. God is inviting people to receive mercy. He sent Jesus to die for your sin. Not so that He would judge you for it, but to forgive you of it. He loves you. He wants to forgive and completely cleanse you. This is the age of grace. Jesus came to save sinners. Now, He will judge sin if we refuse to be reconciled. If we absolutely refuse and reject This offer, this word, this truth of Jesus, which brings reconciliation, then, in fact, we will pay for our own sin. We will give account for our own iniquity. But that's not the heart of God. God wants to forgive. God wants to cleanse. And God has committed this word of reconciliation to who? To you and I, to the believers, to the disciples of Christ. And that's why Paul says, I'm an ambassador of Jesus. I'm representing Christ. I'm carrying this word, this message of hope and reconciliation to my generation. And I love the language that he uses here. He says, I'm representing Christ. And it's as if God is pleading through us. Do you hear the passion? Do you hear the heart of God? God is pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Come to God in an age of mercy. Come to God in a season of grace and forgiveness and hope. God is begging. God is pleading. God is reaching His hand out through Christ and through Christ's followers who bring the message of Christ. This is what drove the apostle. This is that love of Christ compelling him. And this is what it means to be compelled by the love of Christ. His passion for the lost becomes your passion for the lost. His love for sinners becomes your love for sinners. His message of reconciliation becomes your message of reconciliation for all who will listen, for all who you touch, for all who you come in contact with. You know, I have to say... My own life, it's taken me, a long, taken me some time to understand a little bit more of this truth. I have to confess, when I was a young Christian, I, I, don't think, I, didn't, I wasn't really thinking much of myself as an ambassador for Christ. I was just living my life and hoping Christ would bless it. 
Glad to have him on my side, on my team. I had great plans for the Lord. And so wanted him to bless them. And so excited about the things that I had planned for us together. I didn't realize that he had saved me. Not that I would live for myself, but that I would live for him. It took me a while. And I have to confess, even today, I still have to learn that from time to time. I'm sure you do as well. But I am beginning to see more and more that the purpose God has for my life is to represent Him as an ambassador to the lives that I come in contact with. Now I know you say, well, of course, you're a pastor. That's your job. (laughs) It's your job description, as a matter of fact. But you know, I I haven't always been a pastor. (laughs) And I'm not just a pastor. You know, I'm also a friend. I also have work relationships. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I have a lot of hats that I wear, as you do too. So I'm not just an ambassador in the pulpit. I hope that I am. I want to be. But, you know, everywhere I go... I'm an ambassador for Christ. Everywhere you go, you're an ambassador for Jesus. When you think about your friendships, you know, are you representing Christ? Is that, is that really, like Paul said, we, don't, we only recognize men two ways. Either you're in Christ or you're not. We don't recognize anything else about a man if he's in Christ or not. That's our main goal is to discover that and then to preach to him, to convert him. Oh, yeah, that's just too zealous. That's too weird. That's why Paul said, well, if you think I'm crazy, God's the one that made me crazy. He's the one that gave me this message. He's the one that's burned it into my heart. He's the one that's speaking it through my heart to you. Friendships. And that's not to say that we can't have any non-Christian friends. No, I, I think we do need to engage. I think we do need to reach out in friendship, sincerely. But let us never forget that it's, you are an ambassador for Christ in that friendship. What about a husband or a wife, a spouse? I know for me, the Lord has called me to minister Christ to my wife. I'm supposed to love her as Christ loves the church. So I'm an ambassador in my marriage. I'm, I'm supposed to be Jesus in that marriage. I really was hoping... She would be Jesus in the marriage. (laughs) But the truth is, God has called me. Of course, He's called us both, hasn't He? He's called us both to represent Christ in the marriage. And not only that, our marriage is to reflect something of Christ to others. A Christian marriage is to be a light, a witness. A Christian marriage is to be a testimony. And boy... This is a generation that needs a testimony. We don't need Christian marriages crashing and burning. We need Christian marriages burning for Jesus and showing a light of God in our culture. What about parenting? Are we to be ambassadors of Christ in our parenting? Well, the Bible tells us to raise our children in the ways of the Lord, to teach them the admonition, the instruction of God. Listen, parent, if you don't teach your child about Christ, who do you think will? Well, bring them to church. We will try. We will. But that's not enough. And you know the public schools aren't doing it. You know you have been called to represent and be the ambassador for Christ 
in your children's life. Raise them to know the Lord. You know, I have four children and they're older now and come to adult and you know, I'm very, we're very involved in their lives, and, and we love that. We, we enjoy being involved in their lives. But I, I do want to say that as I've gotten older, more and more, the most important thing in my heart, because I know I won't be here forever, the most important thing is that they would live for the Lord. Uh, hate that. <laughs> that they would live for Jesus. Amen. Three of them are in here today, and I know they're just like, Dad. (laughs) And I'm so blessed that they are living for the Lord. And I'm so thankful that they do know Him, and they love Him. And in the end, that's all that matters. Listen, that's all that matters. In every relationship, children, honor your parents in the Lord, for this is right, this is good. Be an ambassador, even in your own home, even if your parents don't know the Lord. You have opportunity to represent Christ. And he explains in verse 21, and this is where we'll close, we looked at it, but he really explains that whole miracle of reconciliation. Look, here's how he did it. Here's how God made it happen. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This exchange took place when you came to Christ. The moment, the instant that you believe this word of reconciliation, this message we call the gospel, that Jesus loves you and died on the cross for your sins, the minute you believed it, an exchange took place in the Spirit. You, once a sinner, all of that was pardoned at the cross. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God which was in Christ, was given to you. Think about that. The righteousness of God has been given to you and I through this ministry of reconciliation. Listen, you can't improve on that righteousness. There's nothing you can do to do, to do good enough to, to in any way contribute to the righteousness that has already been given to you in Christ. It's yours He bought it for you. He's given it to you. Receive it. You can't add or contribute to it. Nothing of your own self-righteousness will in any way compare to the righteousness that has been given to you in Christ. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. Rejoice in it. Walk in it. Live in it. This is the love of God that compels believers to live for Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's the natural byproduct of this kind of loving relationship. That's why Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. He's in everything I do. He's in everything I'm living for. It's the love of Jesus has radically changed my life. And he's radically changed everyone who's come to him. That love will not leave you the same. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this beautiful ministry of reconciliation. It's so precious. It's so profound and powerful. It never loses its glory. This beautiful message that God has reconciled me to Himself 
through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for each here today, for everyone that knows you and has come to faith in Christ, that in some way they would celebrate once again this glorious work of reconciliation. Lord, it's no small thing that you've done. And that we would celebrate it in our hearts and that, Lord, that love, that profound love that has so just rocked our our soul would then compel us, Lord, in every way, in every area of our life and relationship and ambition and pursuit, that the love of Christ would compel us. And Lord, of course, I'm mindful today of those that may be here that do not know you, that have not yet come to this saving reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And as your heads remain bowed, if you'll just stay in a moment of prayer with me for just a moment longer, I want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you do not know the Lord in this way. If we were to ask you, just as Paul has pointed out here, look, you're on one side of this equation. We don't recognize you in any other way except either you are in Christ because you've come to faith in Him, or you are outside of Christ, still living your own life. If you're here today and you have never come to that place of giving your life to Jesus for cleansing and forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation. His word to you today is not one of judgment, not one of condemnation, but one of mercy, as if God were pleading through this pulpit right now on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you're here today and you have never received that ministry into your life and into your heart, but He's speaking to you now and you want to receive Christ, I'm going to ask you simply to raise your hand right now where you're seated and we're going to pray. And this reconciliation, this mercy, this love is going to come flowing into your heart and life. Anyone here this morning, you need to be reconciled to God. You need to receive Christ. You need mercy. So, Lord, we do thank you for this wonderful ministry of reconciliation. And, Lord, we pray for this word that has been given to us, that we would be faithful as ambassadors for Jesus to represent, to represent Christ in our day, in every area, in every relationship, in every walk of life. This is why you saved us, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in that new man every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.